Let us pray. God, you give us this story of long ago of John sharing words of encouragement and good news with the people. May we hear these words of encouragement and good news in our time. And may we hear the ways that you are inviting us to share this encouragement with all the world. Amen. When I uh, was in university, I worked uh, at the University of Saskatchewan for the ecumenical chaplaincy, which is supported by uh, the Anglican Church of Canada, the United Church of Canada, and the Presbyterian Church in Canada. And so we were uh, Christian presence uh, supported by these three churches. And in my first year of university, they hired a number of student chaplains, and I was one of those student chaplains. And so over the year that I worked there, uh, we held Bible studies and uh, we organized events and we visited with peers who uh, wanted to talk about their faith. One of the projects we did was we partnered with a number of the environmental groups on campus uh, for, I forget what the event was, but it was about water and water justice. And I forget who the groups were, but they were not Christian groups, they were groups for everyone focused on the environment and on social justice. And so we were in campus and we were sharing information, maybe we're gathering petitions, those sorts of, of sorts of things. Uh, and as we were doing that, there was two different groups of people who came and who asked me the same question, just in different ways. So the first were non-religious people who couldn't understand why on earth a Christian group, the Anglicans, United Church, and Presbyterians, uh, were talking about water justice. They want to know, what on earth does this have to do with our religion? And so I told the story about how we believe in the poem that opens our Bible, that at the beginning of time, uh, God sent the Spirit who soared over the surface of the waters to call out the whole creation. How we believe that God cleansed uh, the world with waters of a flood. How God led God's people to freedom through the waters of the Red Sea. How Jesus was baptized with water but how when he died for us on the cross, water came forth from his side, and how he promises at the end of all things, a river of water of life will flow from his throne. Water is sacred to our faith and shows up again and again and again in the stories of creation and redemption that are the heart of what it is to be a Christian. And so, of course, I care about water and water justice. It seemed to satisfy them enough. It wasn't what they were expecting. And so we went on. The other group that were very distressed that I was there talking about water were other Christians who were, who were a little worried uh, that I was talking about water and not about trying to save people's souls. And so I had a conversation with them about, again, reiterating, well, water is at the heart of our faith. We were baptized in water and that uh, it's fine to save souls, but if people don't have enough to drink, uh, well, then there's not going to be much soul worth saving because we're mostly water, as I was ex talking about earlier. And so if he, the human being is mostly water, uh, then if I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross, I also believe that Jesus died for oceans and lakes, for rivers and streams, for rains and glaciers and the polar ice, that he died not just for humans, but for the whole creation. And I believe that to love the creator is to love the whole creation. And that, in fact, some of the best witness I might have to the good news of Jesus Christ is not by going to people and saying about how uh, they need to be saved, but by saying about how, as a Christian, I want to save the things that we all depend on, like our water. 
the person wasn't very satisfied, and so we went our separate ways. She did her thing, I did mine, and we carried on. Uh, and so it's hearing that that I turn to our question uh, in our series about encouragement for the world. But what does it mean to share uh, words of encouragement with the world around us? We have a fascinating story uh, that we heard today from the Gospel of Luke. Several points during Luke's telling uh, of events, he begins with these long lists that so-and-so was the so-and-so of such-and-such, uh, and it can sometimes be, uh, I was tempted to cut it out of the story to just get on with the action, but it's there for a purpose. And especially in Luke's gospel, it's there for a purpose. That all these people, Tiberius, the emperor, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the king of Galilee, Herod, Philip, the king of Iturea and of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the king of Abilene, and Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, these are the ruling elite of Jesus' society. These are the people in charge. And ultimately, Tiberius, the emperor, is at the very, very top. And the Romans, and Tiberius is their leader, have conquered all kinds of different countries around the world, including the area uh, that Jesus lives in, Galilee, whose king is Herod, uh, and the area of Jerusalem, uh, Judea, whose governor is Pontius Pilate. And in these places, so then there are Roman soldiers who enforce Roman laws on the people. And to fund Rome's uh, giant empire, they levy heavy Roman taxes. And so they hire local tax collectors and so what it would be, it would be one of your neighbors. Imagine if somebody conquered Lanigan. Somebody would get the contract to be the tax collector for the district and would collect everyone's taxes. And how they would make their money is that they would get a commission or a fee uh, for collecting the taxes from their neighbor. And then instead of those taxes staying here to build water infrastructure or roads or support the hospital or the school, it would go off to Rome to fund uh, whatever Rome would spend it on, probably more conquest of one more country down the road. And so people hated tax collectors because it was like one of your neighbor had decided to betray you to the conqueror. And so it's a very interesting group of people we hear that go to John to be baptized. First, we hear uh, just uh, the general crowd. They ask him, what should we do to bear fruit worthy of repentance? And John says that if you have two coats, give one to someone who doesn't have any. And if you have food, do the same. Unlike the, the person who approached me asking why on earth Christians cared about water, John is very concerned about everyday things, about clothing and food and making sure that people have enough. So that's the first thing you should do. And then we're told even the tax collectors came and asked him what they should do. And John says to collect nothing more than they are entitled to, to not take their cut, uh, to not continue to profit off of the exploitation and oppression of their neighbors, but to resist uh, this system of conquest that has taken over them. This would be dangerous, seen almost as a kind of political protest. The political protest has always been at the heart uh, of who we are as Christians. Jesus, of course, his ministry was filled with acts of political protest, and it was political protest that resulted in him dying for us on the cross. And then even the soldiers... So if ordinary people and then the people who've sold out their neighbors to become tax collectors, and then the Roman soldiers themselves come and ask to be baptized, and he tells them not to collect bribes, but only uh, be paid in the wages they're entitled to, and to not bring false accusations against the people to resist this Roman system. And then we're told uh, that he shared in this way with many other encouragements the good news with the people. 
And I think sometimes in the United Church, uh, we've gotten a little shy about sharing words of encouragement and the good news with the people around us. Part of that is that we see other people doing it and they can be just a little bit pushy, maybe just a little bit rude, and maybe just a little bit disrespectful. Uh, and maybe like the person who didn't understand why I cared about water seemed like they're only concerned with people's souls and not with the here and now, but making sure that our neighbors have places to sleep and food to eat, which we do a very good job of caring a lot about. That's why United Churches uh, were many of the places where Alcoholics Anonymous got its start in Canada. It's why United Church people started many of Canada's food banks. It's why United Church people have been at the heart of many of Canada's movements for justice and wholeness. But so when we see other people being just a little pushy, sometimes we step back and get then a little shy about sharing our faith, I think. But I believe that we do need to encourage the world with words of good news. And that means sometimes sharing our faith often with action, like John says, sharing clothes and food and resisting unjust systems. And sometimes, like John did, uh, sharing words of encouragement about our faith. It's in a new creed that we are called to be the church to proclaim Jesus, crucified and risen, our judge and our hope. And I believe in our time that God is sending the United Church of Canada into the world to proclaim Jesus once again, usually in action and sometimes with words. And while we've grown shy, I think, as a church, we should be proud of what makes us who we are, of where we come from, and what God has gifted us. We are a Methodist church. And in the Methodist tradition, holiness is deeply important. Not just personal holiness, but social holiness. The idea that we shouldn't just live holy lives, but live in a holy society. And so as a church, we have always been committed to justice, healing, wholeness and reconciliation. And so we are a justice-seeking church. We are also a reformed church. Before we were Knox United, this church was Knox Presbyterian, and we are rooted in the reformed tradition, which has as its fundamental distinctive the idea that it's not what we do, it's not what we have done that earns us God's love, but it's God's grace alone that saves us. It's God choosing us before the foundations of the universe, and God loves us. And so no matter what we have done or who we are, God chooses us and loves us. And so we have taken from that that we are an inclusive church that welcomes all. And we are also, of course, a united and a uniting church, willing to do new, difficult, brave things for the sake of the mission of God, to share good news and to encourage the world, even setting aside our differences and coming together as a new church. And so as the United Church of Canada, built on these foundations of our Methodist, Reformed, uh, and United and Uniting Church identities, we have done tremendous things. The United Church of Canada was the first union of different denominations of Christianity in the history of the world. The first time that different churches, different denominations, got together and became one united church. We were the first church in Canada to ordain women believing that if God has called, then who are we to say no? And I love the story of how that happened because it's good prairie pragmatism that God had done. It was the people of Saskatchewan Conference. There was a talented woman named Lydia Grucci that we wanted to ordain. And the rest of the United Church kept on saying, no, 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 uh, we shouldn't ordain women. And so finally what we did is we said, we're going to ordain her on this day at our meeting. And if you want to, you can stop us. And if you don't, then we're just gonna do it. And so we did. And uh, uh, again, it was people in Saskatchewan willing to take some risks 
do things differently that got it done, but rooted in our belief that it's God who loves each and every one of us. It's that same belief that led us to recognize that while marriage is holy, not, that life is complicated and so sometimes marriages end. And so we were the first church in Canada to bless uh, second marriages and to allow divorced people to become ministers. Again, believing that God loves and welcomes each and every one of us, we were the first church in Canada to ordain gays and lesbians and the first church in Canada to bless same-sex marriages. We were the first church in Canada to ordain trans people. Again and again and again, we have been and are a justice-seeking and inclusive church. And this is the good news, I believe, that God is sending us into the world to share. Words of encouragement and good news. That the good news of Jesus is about how God loves each and every one of us, and God wants us to live holy lives in a holy society with justice and welcome for all. And I know it can be hard to share our faith. It takes courage, bravery, it has some risk, but I believe that the world needs to hear the message we have, the words of encouragement of good news, that Jesus loves everyone exactly as they are, no matter their age or race or sexual orientation or gender identity, no matter who they are or what they've done or where they come from, each and every one of us, all of us, are loved by God. The world also, I believe, needs to hear a call to holiness, to repentance even, and transformation, to hear the story about how Jesus died on a cross to forgive our sins, uh, and then to transform the whole world into a place of holiness and of justice. This is who we are, a people of inclusion and of justice. It's rooted in the good news that we have, and I believe we're called to share this good news, to encourage the world, usually, like John says, with what we do, but occasionally and sometimes uh, with telling the story of Jesus to the people around us and sharing how Jesus has transformed our lives and is transforming the world and inviting others to join us in following him together. As 1 Thessalonians says, I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. Amen. And thanks be to God.